Amen. We hope that you are coming this morning praising your Savior all the day long. And it is our joy and delight to begin a new book of the Bible this morning as we have completed the Acts of the Apostles and have been in that book for a little over a year. We go to Luke's first, what we believe is his first writing, and that is the Gospel of Luke. And so if you'll turn there, we'll be looking at the first four verses of chapter 1 of the Gospel according to Luke. There we read this, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught." Amen. You may be seated. Well, my stint in the elementary school band was a short and inglorious one. I played the alto saxophone from grade three to six. But that does not mean that I did not learn anything by being a part of the band. No, if you gave me a saxophone today, I still know how to Finger the notes, which you're going to have to just take my word for, because I assure you, you don't want to hear me play them. But more than that, I learned what it means to practice again and again and again. And nothing was going to be learned, or at least learned well, by doing just once. And I remember my band teacher's most repeated phrase, right when you thought that you were done, he would say, and from the top, or from the beginning. And there would be an audible groan, but you could not complain too long because those arms would go up and then they would drop and you would have to start playing. But you know what? Each time, we would get better after practicing it again and again and again. And so as we come to the Gospel of Luke this morning, a study that will probably take us over two years. The words of my band teacher ring in my ears from the top. A material that is probably well-known, might even say it's well-rehearsed. And perhaps you might even say, is this really what is needed? We know it already, pastor. But there is something about going back to the essentials that is absolutely necessary. As Vince Lombardi, the famous coach of the Green Bay Packers, used to do at the beginning of each football season, he would hold before his men and say, men, this is a football. Because he would bring them back to the very basics, back to the fundamentals. And it is the same that we need to rehearse the fundamentals, the basics, again and again and again. When I first came to this church as the pastor, now almost seven years ago, the first book of the Bible that I preached from on Sunday morning was the Gospel of Mark. And so that means most of you were not here then. And those of you that were, surely don't remember. And so it is time, once again, to preach through a Gospel, this time the Gospel of Luke. And why is that? Well, I believe that we need to be confronted again and again 
and again with the life and ministry of Christ. Week after week to see and hear your Lord and Savior directly. His words, His works. And my prayer in doing so would, not only that we would be reminded of the basics and the fundamentals, but that our foundation, that Christ as the cornerstone would once again be that which our faith is built upon, and no one else, and upon nothing else, and that we would see our Lord and Savior afresh once again. And so we do that this morning with this beginning introduction into the gospel of Luke from the first four verses, and we see three things, the facts, the fulfillment, and the foundation. But as we get into those points, let me perhaps have a point of privilege, if I may, and let me explain why we do what we do here at Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Last weekend, we celebrated the Reformation, and we do so not just to celebrate a historical past, but to be reminded that what was taught and the way that it was taught and the practice in which it was taught is a present reality that continues on today, that the truth and the practice of the Reformation is ongoing even in our midst. And so it is our practice here at this church to preach what our Reformed fathers called Lectio Continua, which just simply means Latin for the continuous reading or preaching of the Scriptures. It means a regular and consecutive, systematic, verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word. And as I mentioned, many of you are new here, perhaps, and this may be a new approach to you. Maybe you've never been a part of a church that goes verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter, through a whole book of the Bible. And so maybe you have never heard why we do this as a church. Why not just choose a few verses here and then go over there and choose a few more verses from that chapter or from that book. Well, I think there's several reasons why this is important and important to us. First, preaching through the whole book of the Bible treats the Bible as a single unit. Yes, it's made up of verses. Yes, it's made up of Chapters, yes, it's made up of several different books, but there is one cohesive whole, a singular message throughout. And so when we pick out one verse here and one verse there, we are missing the overall message of the book and ultimately of the Bible, of how those passages fit together. It's much like a puzzle. We must take all of the pieces and fit them together to see the whole. If you take one piece here and another piece there, you'll only have a part of the picture, but you will not have the whole. Well, second, we must remember that the Bible is about Christ and about his kingdom, and ultimately not about us. And so we are not to treat the Bible and particular verses like we would a fortune cookie or perhaps a horoscope where it's here's your fortune or here's your good word for the day because we must remember that the message is not primarily about us. It's about Christ. It's about his kingdom. And yes, it definitely applies to us, 
but we must fit into it. It does not fit into us. And so the consecutive reading and teaching reminds us that this is God's story. And by God's grace, I am a part of that story. It is not my story, and God is kind of an add-on at the end. Well, third, verse-by-verse expositional preaching forces us to deal with matters that we may not otherwise. See, if I, as the pastor, get to choose the topics, I'm going to choose topics that I enjoy choosing and things that are comfortable and most familiar to me or even those that I think are relevant. But when you preach through a book of the Bible like we have done and will in the days to come, the message, in a sense, is chosen for you. The next passage is the next passage that needs to be preached. And if I'm honest, it brings up subject matters that sometimes I would rather skip. Why? Because they're challenging and because they're difficult. And no doubt there will be times that you wished I skipped passages as well because it will step on your toes. But those passages, even though they may be difficult, even though they may be challenging, even though they may fly right in our face, those are passages that are needful and necessary, even though they may not always be enjoyable. Children, it's like if you had the choice between dessert and vegetables. I know what you're going to choose. You're going to choose dessert every single time, and I don't blame you, but even you know if all that you ate was dessert, it would not be very healthy for you, would it? You need those vegetables. So too, preaching through God's word and the whole of it provides a healthy diet of God's word, not just the parts that we enjoy. And so if you don't like the message, don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) Go to God, and I hope and pray that again and again that you'll come face to face with the living God through his living word, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. Well, let's do so even now as we dive into this glorious gospel, the gospel of Luke. And the first we see is facts. As we see these first four verses of Luke, we might call them the preface to the gospel. And they're easy to overlook and just move on. And you might even say, why spend any time into it? Why don't we just dive into the chapters themselves, dive into the meat of this book? And that's a tempting thing to do, even if you're reading not a book of the Bible, but you're reading just any book. Sometimes books will have those introduction chapters, and even though they may not be the most exciting, you need to read them. Why? Because oftentimes you'll get the author's explanation of why they have written what they have written and how they have written what they have written and what they have written and the reason they have written it. And that's all important, and that is the case here. Luke gives you the what and the how and the why and even to whom he has written. And what we read is that Luke tells us in verse 1 that he has compiled a narrative of things. And then in verse 3, he has written them down. 
And you might say, well, yes, that's what an author does, especially if they are writing nonfiction, and especially if they are writing history. But that is what Luke is telling us, is that he went about the task as a histographer, one that was writing history. He's writing down that which has taken place. In other words, he is writing down historical facts. And that might be obvious to us, but that must be said. These are not mystical stories. These are not just legends or tall tales, things that have been embellished, so to speak. No, this is history of real historical figures, of real historical places that you can find on a map today. And in particular, it is about one historical figure named Jesus. And so all that has happened really happened. And what is written is that which has taken place. And that what is said is that which was really said. And that is important to say. Why? Because we must treat it as such. And so how does Luke accomplish this? Well, as I mentioned, it says that he compiled a narrative of the things said. As he says in verse 2, as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So Luke, for a period of time, we don't know how long, maybe a few months, perhaps a few years, went around, no doubt, meeting with the disciples and other believers and perhaps even critics, asking them what they saw and what they heard so that he could compile it together. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that notebook of Luke, as he wrote down, scribbled down all the things, as he met with those that were speaking about Christ and the things that were said, to read his notebook and his journal entries would have been fascinating. And in some ways, that is exactly what the Gospel of Luke is, is that we have his narrative of the life and ministry of Christ. And he had to see it and and write about it through the eyes of others. Most likely Luke was not there for the life of Christ, and so he wrote it for his own sake as well as for Theophilus, the one that he is writing to. But he also did it through the Holy Spirit for our sake. So that as we read through the Gospel of Luke, it's as if we were there, as if we were transported into first century Palestine, into Judah and Jerusalem and Galilee, that we can stand there and we can see the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like we are transported back in time and so that we can have this understanding, so that we can know our Christ, we can know our Savior. What a blessing that is. What a gift that is given to us from Luke and ultimately through the Holy Spirit. Luke says that he has followed all things closely. And that he's able to give an accurate and orderly account. You see that in verse 3, don't you? He says it's an accurate account. Meaning that he kept all the receipts, as it were. He has all the names. All the addresses of everyone that is testified. Just like you would in a court of law. So that this account would be an accurate one. And it would be an orderly account. Now, there's some of you that love order. 
that you want everything to be just so. If that is you, then you will appreciate Luke because he brings orderliness to the life of Christ. Not only is it the fullest of all the Gospels, being the longest, but it covers all the details from his birth to his life to his ministry to his death to his resurrection. It has it all. And it's done in a lovely flow. It's written in beautiful Greek. Now, I know most of you are not Greek scholars. I don't call myself a Greek scholar by any means, but I know some Greek. And I know that as you go and are learning Greek, and some of our seminary students will tell you this, the first-year Greek students will tell you that they often have to translate parts of Luke's gospel. Why is that? Because it is the most beautiful Greek in the entirety of the New Testament. It's the easiest to translate, so to speak, because Luke writes in such a way that gives this orderly and accurate account. And he was able to do this because, well, we know Luke was well-educated. He was a doctor by profession, and he was also a Greek. Therefore, he was writing in his native and natural language. And so there is a, a lot here, and we can be thankful for it. But I want you to note something that is not here. As you read through the Gospel of Luke, you'll notice that there is no commentary, no explanation of the things that take place. In other words, Luke allows the life and ministry of Jesus to speak for itself. He does not need to add to it. He doesn't need to say, and so this is what this means. Or this is the conclusion that you should come to. And I find that very refreshing, do you not? That in a day and age where everyone is trying to give their opinion about what you should think and what you should uh, react to this or that, in a world of opinions, the gospel of Luke is extremely refreshing. Luke is essentially saying, my task is to lay out the facts for you, for you to come to your conclusion, your own conclusion. And, and the result is that the, the approach that he uses demonstrates that the weight and evidence of the life of Christ is overwhelming, that you cannot come to any other conclusion than that this Christ is both Lord and Savior of all that look to him. That is why one of the greatest tools that you can use in your evangelism is one of the most simple. When you ask your non-believing friends or, or co-workers or neighbors, have you ever read the Bible? Now, most of them will say yes, but actually they haven't. So don't take that answer as reason to move on. Challenge them to, to read the Bible. Specifically, read the gospel. Read the gospel of Luke. Read the Gospel of Mark. Maybe even say, hey, can we read it together and talk about it? And what I think you will find and what others will is that they have to come to all of these facts of who is Christ. And it will have them come to a decision point. That they'll either think that, yes, this is the Lord and Savior through the power of the Holy Spirit, of course. Or they'll have to try to dismiss it all, which will be very hard to do if they give it honest evaluation. 
One of the joys that we have, meaning my wife and I, of having teenagers, and I say that rightly, it is a joy amidst the challenges, is learning the language of kids these days. Now, saying kids these days, I'm clearly showing my age, that I am old, according to them. And I'm fully aware of that. But my wife and I take great joy, maybe a little too much joy, in incorporating new language of the younger people into our conversation with one another as well as with our kids. And to that, we oftentimes get obligatory groans and eye rolls, as you can imagine. But I think deep down, they really love it. I know they do. (laughs) Yeah, one of the better words and phrases that we have learned and have grown to appreciate and have actually used often where we get these eye rolls and groans is when someone says something is true or that you agree with, you respond with facts. (laughs) So for me to say it's a lovely day out, your response should be facts. (laughs) You can use it with our teenagers. I'm sure they'll appreciate it. It's essentially saying this is true or amen or facts. And so after every passage of the gospel of Luke, your response should be facts. That is what Luke is doing. He's saying this is true. This is reliable. This is facts of history. And we can praise God for it, that we have a compilation of the facts of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, not only do we have those facts, but we have fulfillment. Luke is doing more in his gospel than just writing about a particular time and place, namely first century Israel. No, what you'll see throughout this gospel is that he's linking the message of Christ, the story of Christ, and fitting it into the greater story of redemption. And you see that in verse 1, do you not? When he says, insomuch as we have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us. Now this wording, accomplished among us, I think is a bit of a poor translation. Better it would say, all these things that have been fulfilled among us. Now obviously if they are fulfilled, they were accomplished. But that word accomplished seems like, to me, such a sterile word. Like Christ was just completing a checklist, as it were. Check, check, check. Like a a kid or a child completing their chores for the week. No, what Christ is doing, yes, he's accomplishing all these things, but he's fulfilling them. And that may seem like semantics to you, but it is important that Christ in his coming to the earth as the God-man is something that is new, yes, but it is not brand new. In fact, it is a fulfillment of that which is old. In fact, very old. That which goes all the way back to the very beginning. In Genesis chapter three, and you could even say, further than that, from the foundations of the earth. And what Luke is doing is he's constantly and continually, almost every chapter, linking this story, the story of Christ, into the grand story of redemption. How does he do that? Well, he quotes Old Testament prophecy again and again. And you'll see this. I don't have to point it out to you. We will get to it. In fact, he does it more than any other gospel writer. You'll hear him say these words, this is to fulfill what is written. 
or this would be a fulfillment of what was spoken of the Lord. And then he would give an Old Testament quote. And so here at the beginning of his gospel, he is saying that this story is a fulfillment of God's revelation. And that link to the Old Testament is constantly being made. You have to have that link. You have to have the Old Testament in order to have the New Testament. And you have to have the New Testament in order for the Old Testament to be true. And Luke is saying that is what is taking place here with the coming of Christ. The Apostle John does the very same thing, doesn't he? As he begins his gospel and begins it in this way, when he says, in the beginning was the word. Now that phrase, in the beginning, takes you back to what? The very beginning, right? The creation of the world, where in Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so what the gospel writers want you to see is that, yes, Christ came in time, but he was the fulfillment of time. That Christ was revealed, and yet he is the revelation of the entire scriptures. He's the one that holds it together. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega, and they come together in Christ. Christ is a fulfillment of it all, both old and new. As one old Puritan said, and put it this way, all the flowers of the New Testament come from the seeds of the Old Testament. And Christ is the fairest flower of them all. And that is what we get to see is this fair flower of Christ and how all of those seeds that were planted in the Old Testament come to fruition in him. And so we have this fulfillment. Well, third, we have a foundation. You might be saying, well, okay, but so what? Why should I care? Why should I give my Sundays to this? Why should I come listen to you, Pastor, about what Luke has to say about Christ? That's a great question. Glad you asked it. Luke answers that question for us. At the very end, in verse 4, he says that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The two things that Luke says is the reason why you want to give your diligent attention to this book why you want to hear it taught, why you want to hear it preached. And there are two things in this verse 4 that kind of get put together in our translation. But he says that you may know and that you may have certainty. First, that you may know. You need to know Christ. You need to know about Christ. And that is important. And Luke is dogmatic about that, that we can know about Christ. And that we can know, well, anything at all. The modern thought of the day is that you cannot truly know anything. That there is no established truth. There's only perceptions. There's only feelings. There's only thoughts. And those thoughts and those feelings and those ideas are subjective. Nothing is settled. Everything is up in the air. It's all up for grabs. And therefore, no idea, no quote-unquote truth is better than any other truth. Like I said, there is nothing objective. It's all subjective. And so to say one is true is, in a sense, to attack someone else's subjective thoughts and feelings and perceptions. And in our culture, as you know, that is sacrosanct. You you cannot do that. Well, what that is is just postmodern thought. And it is ultimately anti-God, as most worldly thoughts and philosophies are. And therefore, it's a lie. 
It's a falsehood. It's a false teaching. And I say so because it attacks God as the source of truth. And ultimately, Christ as the revelation of that truth. And essentially, it says that there is no source. And there truly is no truth. And that anyone claims to know truth and have absolute truth is ultimately conceited and and arrogant. And I tell you, that would be true if we were the source of truth. But what we have in the Gospel of Luke, what we have in the Scriptures, is that this word comes from a different source, doesn't it? Yes, Luke wrote it, but there is someone far greater behind it. And that is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is God's word to us. And if God has spoken this word, wouldn't we be arrogant and conceited if we don't listen to it? If we think that ours is greater than his, who's the conceited one? Who's the arrogant one? No, God has spoken. He has given this word to us. We can know God and we can know God's word. We do not have to wonder. There's no mystery about it. We don't have to figure it out. As Francis Schaeffer put it as a part of his title of his book, he wrote the title of his book that says, He is there and he is not silent. God is not silent. He has made his way known and we can praise God for it. That's why the first part of our purpose statement is to know and worship the triune God. That God has made himself known and we can praise him for it. That we can know because the triune God is knowable. He has made himself known and the truths of Christ are given to us through the Bible, through books like Luke. And so we need to have our eyes open. We need to have our ears open and ultimately we need to have our hearts open. As this word is revealed to us, Luke has written us an account so that we can know and that we can be confident in that knowledge. But then he goes on to say not only that we can know, but that we can have certainty. There's more than just knowing, isn't there? There's more than just having knowledge. That is important, but we need to have the certainty of that knowledge. We need to have the certainty of that truth. That's when truth goes from our head to our heart. Some say that is the longest and most difficult road in the humanity on planet Earth. The distance from our head to our heart. And I do not disagree. Because it's one thing to know. It's another thing entirely to believe, isn't it? And to trust and to put your faith, the entirety of your life, upon it. To put your eternity, to, to bank your eternity upon that which you know and be so certain that you can do so. But that is what Luke is saying. That is why he's writing this account. An accurate and orderly account, full of facts, full of fulfillment. But he does so not just so that you can say, well, that's good to know. That's interesting. Or that's fascinating. Or even that's intriguing. No, he's saying, I have written this so that you may have certainty and that you can be certain in what you believe and why you believe it so that you can know like you have never known anything before, so that you can believe and trust 
Like you have never believed and trusted anything before. This truth is the rock and foundation upon which we have no others. If this doesn't exist, then we must say, I don't exist. You don't exist. This is more of a reality than reality itself. My life is Christ. To know him is to believe him and to trust him all the more. In 1859, Charles Blondin was a famous tightrope walker. And perhaps you've heard this story before. He had done some wonderful and famous feats. And so he scheduled a time and promoted it that he was going to tightrope walk across the Niagara Falls. And the time came and he got the crowd there and there was a great crowd and the crowd, as you can imagine, was very excited to see this feat, to see this man walk across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Before he did so, he said to the crowd, who, who thinks that I can do this? Who thinks that I can walk across the Niagara Falls on this tightrope. And of course, everybody cheered and applauded. And then he says, who thinks that I can do it while using a wheelbarrow? And of course, they got a little bit more excited. They hadn't seen anybody walk across a tightrope with a wheelbarrow. And then he said, who thinks that I can do it with a person in the wheelbarrow? And of course, they got even more excited. They started to clap and cheer even that much more loudly. And then he said, who will get in the wheelbarrow? And all of a sudden, people got very quiet, didn't they? It's one thing to know. It's another even to believe. But it's quite another to commit the entirety of your life to it. That is what Luke is saying, isn't he? He says, I give you facts and fulfillments. But at the end, you have to have faith. Not a faith in the unknown. No, it's known and knowable. It's not a leap into the darkness. God has given us enough light to know that he is reliable. He's given us his revelation. But it is the leap into the certainty of committing your all, the whole of yourself to Christ. In a sense, to get in the wheelbarrow with Christ. And what we see is that we have a sure foundation. A sure and firm hope, not a hope so, but a trusted and reliable source. And that is Christ, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and what comfort that brings to us. In a world of complete uncertainty, when we don't know what will happen the next second, let alone the next minute or the next day or the next week, when we do not know what will take place on Tuesday and who will get elected and who will not get elected, we don't put our trust and confidence in that, do we? We put it in Christ. We know Christ. Christ knows us. That is the rock. That is the fortress. That is the faith and the hope and the certainty that we have. And that is what I hope and pray will happen through this teaching series. That we won't just know about Christ that we won't even know more about Christ, but that we'll actually know Christ and believe in him and trust him and love him all the more. And so I look forward to expounding this beautiful book of the Bible along with Pastor Myers and even through it, seeing the more beautiful Savior of this book, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we begin, I would ask that you would be prayerful 
prayerful for yourself, prayerful for one another, and prayerful for your pastors as well. Because as it is said, a church that is prayerful for their pastors and their preaching will be a church that has pastors that preach you full every week. Let's pray to that end, even now. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of this book of the Bible. And Lord, we pray that we would be made full, full of the facts and the fulfillment, but ultimately the foundation that is Christ, that our faith would be firmly rooted in Christ. Lord, what a blessing it is that you have made yourself known, that you are noble, Lord, that you're not silent, that you're not hidden, but you have revealed your way and your works to us. And there is no greater revelation than Christ. And so as we see Christ again, would we see him afresh, anew, and would our faith be revived, O Lord? Would it be given living strength in you so that we would live out all of our days and, in fact, all of eternity in glory and praise to you? Now, Lord, as we approach this table, would it also strengthen our faith and help us, Lord, as we see the living Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.